This is episode 13. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yay, we're finally releasing another main episode of the podcast. Hooray! This was recorded before COVID-19 in 2019, so some of the references will reference travel, and I hope that's not sad. I hope that's a happy thing because it's kind of going to be a little travel adventure on this episode. We talk about careers and getting to know yourself and the way you work, the way you work best. And I found this to be a very informative and insightful episode. I think it's going to be very valuable for anyone finding themselves in a transition as we, many of us are during this crazy time that we're going through. Oh, and by the way, I assure you that no accountants were harmed during the making of this podcast. Please enjoy my conversation with career counselor, Therese Anthony. This is the Language of Creativity Podcast. So, yeah, you're wearing your baby shark t-shirt. Actually, it's a mommy shark t-shirt. It's a mommy shark t-shirt. Yeah, so... Because I'm the mommy shark. Yeah, and you're a mom. I am a mom. Isn't that cool? Yes, it's it's super cool. People on the street will be like, (laughs) (laughs) I see you! (laughs) They all want one. You're a mom and you have two kids. Two beautiful little angels. I'm kidding. They are beautiful and they're almost angels. And they can be. Yeah. (laughs) For like a minute. Yeah. They're also also photo shoot models for your photo business. Oh, right. You have a photo side business. I do have a photo side business. Now, whoa, okay. I've known you since before you had a photo side business. You did. How long have we known each other? I mean, how long have we seen each other at the coffee shop? I mean... How old was Caleb? Three? Caleb? When we first kind of started like oh hey i had emma with me i've been taking him to the coffee shop since he was about four months old oh yeah but so he's six and a half now we didn't move to the area till 20 well december 2012 so i didn't start really going till then yeah so we've probably known each other since 13 or 14 yeah yeah when emma was a baby yeah she was yeah yeah oh let me ask you something yes so do you know two lies and the truth do you know that game you tell I it. And don't then you have to guess. So I've it's... ever played it. All right. So this is just a guessing game to kind of get us started here. Okay. So it's two lies and a truth. And then you have to guess which one is the lie and which one is the truth. Right? Okay. So there's one truth and two lies. Okay. So. All right. So, you know, I went to school in Hawaii, right? I told you that. Hawaii Pacific University. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like, um, there's tons of sharks in Hawaii. You know, I don't know if you know that the um, tiger shark, it like roams around Waikiki. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And huh. and over by Kaniohe I think Bay. that's the lie. <laughs> no, but you haven't told no. me three, so uh-huh. I got to wait. So this is just setting you up for the story here. Oh, okay. So over in Kaniohe Bay, which is like on the other side of the island, that's where the Marine Corps base is, and that's where like locals... I mean, they live all over the island, obviously, but mm-hmm. that's more of a local town. That's also where there's a lot of tiger sharks. Well, one day, I was out in a canoe in Kaniohe Bay, and a tiger shark followed me. This is fact number one. Fact number two. I traveled through Central and South America for eight months. And while I was in Costa Rica, I went into like a bullfighting ring hmm. with, in the end, eight bulls. And like at one point, a bull saw me and started running after me and I had to like get out of the way. I don't believe that. That's like crazy. And then so third, that's fact that was number two. two. <laughs> third one. On my travels, I went to Peru and I went to Machu Picchu, which is like a ancient city and i tracked the 
two, three days, two nights, three days, something like that, like in the Andes Mountains. And got woke up at 4 a.m. one night to like run the last part. I mean, we were literally running the last part of the way and upstairs and whatnot to make it for the sunset. Wow. So those are my three. Being stalked by a shark. Stalked by a shark in a canoe. Right. Going up Machu Picchu and going into that bullfight ring. The bullfight ring in South America. In Costa Rica. In Costa Rica. I'm going to say, wait, so there's two lies and one truth? There's two truths and one lie. Two truths and one lie. The lie is the bullfighting. That is true. The bullfighting happened? Yes. What? Yes. Oh my gosh. The, the being stalked by a shark in Hawaii did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that it was supposed to be two lies and a truth. So I told you two <laughs> truths. I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, because I did go and watch a feature. The bullfighting happened? Yes. Wow. Like, how did I? I how? would never do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, afterwards, I was like, oh my God, human, like, not human rights, animal rights. And I was like, I didn't, at the time, it was just one of those dares. And so I just did it. Was this out of college? So after college, my best friend and I had decided we were going to travel through Central and South America. So my dad dropped us off at the border to Mexico. At the time, this was more safe than it is today. And so we took the first bus down and we spent a few weeks in Mexico. Then we went to Guatemala where she already knew Spanish, where I learned a little bit of Spanish so I could kind of make my way. And then we went to Costa Rica and we were in San Jose, which is the capital of Costa Rica. And these guys had come back to the hostel. So we lived in this $1 hostel. Hmm. And so we shared a room and then we each paid a buck, you know, we're like, score, this is awesome, right? <laughs> when you're traveling like a backpacker like we were. And these guys came back and they were like full of adrenaline. Like, oh my God, I just went, you know, I was in a bullfighting ring. And so in Costa Rica at Christmas time, they have a week of bullfights, I think it is, where it's like a, a national pastime during the week between Christmas and New Year's, I think it is. And so we were going to go see it, and we went and so we went to the backside where the people who are going to be bullfighting are before the fights start. And there's cops there, and, you know, making sure everyone is safe and whatever. And finally, you know, they're like, "Oh, you want to go?" I was like, "No, no, no." And then you know, my friend is like, "You can, you should do it." I'm like, "No, I'm not going to do that." Like, come on, you should do it. And then you know, the cop comes back over. He's like, "Come on, you should do it." So then I go and I go. So I'm sitting with all these guys and there's a few women there as well but I was the only tourist woman right and then you sit and you kind of have to squat and then like there's a person in front of you and a person in front of them and a person in front of them and then there's a the bullfighting ring right so kind of like a coliseum so when it, it was time to go they're like up ah! and so we all get up and then like run and we all like run through this dark dark hall to get into the ring and then a cop stops you and it's like stop in Spanish and then he checks everyone's ID and he comes to me. He's like, passport. I show him my passport and he's like, passport number. I look at him like, I don't know my passport number. <laughs> I was about to know my passport number. I don't know. So um, he's like, he looks at it. He's like, okay, fine, go, go, go. You know? So then we, I go in and then there's two rings. So there's an outer ring where the bulls cannot go and the inner ring. And in the inner ring, there's at one end, it's like the door where the bull comes out. And so everyone kind of goes like right by that. I, I did not goes right by that door and I was I'm a little hesitant on the side right kind of looking to see like is a bull coming out or not and then a bull comes out you know and he's fiercely coming out they, like he just comes out he's mad and and people are just kind of trying to get out of the way and he's trying to you know do whatever a bull does right 
And I was kind of making sure if the ball is over to the right, I will be to the left. If the ball is to the left, I will be to the right. Like kind of like that, right? <laughs> but I got a little more brave as time went on. So then the next ball comes out. And each ball is a little bit bigger and a little bit more aggressive, right? I think by the third ball, I had finally gotten a little more brave. And all of a sudden, I'm standing in the middle of the ring. And this ball is just kind of like huffing and puffing and... What's that called when they use their hoof and they're kind of just like stomping or whatever yeah. it's called? And he looks at me and then he just starts charging and I run like I, <laughs> I have never run before in my life. And I get like through that little slit to get into the safe area and I turn around. First of all, there's a guy right behind me and he's like, <sighs> move! You know? <laughs> oh so I'm like moving out of the way and then I turn and the bull is right there. And I was like, oh, you oh know? my gosh. That was very crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's wow. my bullfighting story. That's your bullfighting story. That's yeah. your, so yeah. out of college in your 20s, going 21. and traveling. Yeah. Where to go from there? I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. So yeah, no, I have tons of stories like that. But that, you know, my there's a reason why I got a degree in anthropology and sociology in college, right? I always had a love for traveling. Yes. Yeah, so how did I end up in the U.S.? Well, my dad's from Glendale, California. So my mom also met him traveling. So it's kind of in the family, this traveling business, right? And they met in Scotland. And so that's how I ended up in California eventually. So you lived in Denmark. And so he moved. Yeah. So I got divorced when I was really young. And then when I was 11, roughly, he moved back to California. And then I would visit twice a year. And then I was here as an exchange student for a year when I was 15, 16. And then after that, I went back to Denmark and finished up secondary school. And then I came back here. And started college. So I started at community college, went to Hawaii, got my degree, and then... Got that, chased by sharks. <laughs> I did not get chased by sharks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and then, actually, while I was in Hawaii, I also went to Kenya for a semester abroad. Wow. So, yeah. And uh, studied culture and actually drumming and dancing because, you know, my other part of my life was music. So I, I studied clarinet for six years while in Denmark and was in like a youth orchestra traveling through Europe a couple of times. Oh my and, gosh. I've known you for how long and I didn't know all this about you. Did, this is You didn't know that I played clarinet? No. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I thought you That's knew that. amazing. So yeah. you're, you're kind of a polymath. I mean, you've done a little bit of a lot. Yeah, I've done a little bit, I think, in my yeah. life. Just a little bit. We all start somewhere and do some things, right? So while I was in Kenya, I studied drumming and dancing among a people called the Giriyama, which is in like the middle of nowhere, next to the ocean, kind of. So I went with the drum maker out into the forest to find a tree to make into a drum. And cool. that was very cool. <laughs> and uh, he cut down this tree and took out the insides and, you know, was making this drum and you know, it has to dry. And so I didn't see the whole process for that specific drum because it takes a long time and they have you have to take a hive of some sort to make the top part. And then they used shark dung on top of it to make it have a specific sound or something like It was like some, it sounds weird to me now that I'm saying it out loud, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was shark dung. I'm noticing a shark theme. Yeah, right? <laughs> Mommy shark t-shirt yep. going on. Yep. Wow, so. cool. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. So you lived in Denmark, you traveled a lot, you did all these cool things. Then you moved to the US. You said you went to college here? Yeah, I went to community college here in Southern California. Uh-huh. And then I went to Hawaii Pacific University to get my degree in sociology and That must be nice. You know, I didn't know anything about the U.S. system and about good schools and bad schools. Uh-huh. So when I went to the career counseling office at my school and I saw all the different pamphlets for the different universities, I didn't know that Harvard was like number one and 
I don't know. <laughs> Hawaii Pacific was probably number ten, you know, ten thousand and two or whatever. I don't even but know. But it's in Hawaii. It's in Hawaii. Yeah. And it has palm trees, and that's exactly why I chose it. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome. Absolutely. And no surfing is not how you do your homework in Hawaii. I just want everyone to know that we did actually study. <laughs> yeah, I had that problem in Pepperdine. It was like right by the beach. And, mm-hmm. and my dad actually went to Pepperdine. Did he really? Mm-hmm. The one in Malibu or yes. the one? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I went to Pepperdine for a very short time. Yeah. A long story for another time. But okay. So then you studied anthropology and sociology. Correct. And what was your thought in declaring those majors? What did you want to do with that originally? So I was one of those idealistic kids who just wanted to go save the world, right? So that's how I got started with that. And I really wanted to work for the UN. And I started a PhD program in anthropology in New York City, actually. And then I found out I was a type 1 diabetic. And that kind of changed my entire life. It, I ended up, huh. at the time, you could not work for the UN when you were type 1 because they can send you anywhere and there's no, there might not be a hospital. They can't promise that. Your insulin can stay cold, all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, at the time, I think they've changed the rules now. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, so, and I didn't actually know that anthropology may not have been the correct major for that. Oh, really? Yeah, so talking about careers, right? Yeah. At the time, I thought that's how you got into that. But no, you become a professor for the most part and end up in academia. And now, at the time, wasn't what I wanted to do. Interesting, but the idea of studying people and what they did and what makes them tick was intriguing. Oh, that's always been intriguing. And I think that's from just all the travels, right? So when I was nine and in Turkey and in that little tiny town, seven kilometers, what would that be? East? No, west of Syria, the Syrian border at the time. There's this girl, she was seven years old. She was beautiful. She was wearing the most, I still remember this like it was yesterday. She was wearing the most beautiful dress, like pink, for, to me, for a nine-year-old, right? Pink and purple and it looked like it was made of satin or something. And she was stomping cow dung, which was to make um, for the fireplace. And I was like, how can you wear that cute dress and do that? You know? Huh. <laughs> but yeah, so people live very differently. And I think from experiences like that is how I had my interest in like different cultures and we do things differently. And yeah. You know, it's funny because my mind totally jumps to my experience of going to Epcot Center for the first time. And I was, uh, I think, eight years old. And just that something about that, the cultures of the world and the way they kind of portray, you know, everything right next to each other. And you could go from country to country. I That's still my favorite park. Mm-hmm. I love Epcot Center. Cool. But you had like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in certain areas, I still have a few continents I haven't gone to, like Antarctica. I actually had it. I could have gone. It would have cost me 50 bucks on a boat at oh. one point when I was in Chile, and I decided not to do it. What? Yeah. That uh, was stupid of me, right? I should, because I didn't $50? know how- $50? $50 <laughs> yes. Antarctica. I know, but I didn't know how I was going to get back, and I was- <laughs> 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 and I wasn't sure about like I didn't have a lot of money at that time. I was uh-huh. kind of running out. It was at uh-huh. the end of my trip, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get back, and I don't know wow. where, where would I stay and what would I do, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Maybe the penguins will let you. <laughs> yeah, flock. right. Wow. Oh my gosh. So you are world traveled. You have had some really rich experience. Gosh, you know. And then what happened next? So career-wise, so I stopped the PhD program and I had to figure out about what do I do now? What's my next move, right? And that's... So, so you were in your PhD track and then you found out you couldn't get into the UN. Is that kind of how it happened? I found out I was a type 1 diabetic and then yeah. my world kind of came crumbling down. Uh. And 
so one of the things that people don't know about if you walk around with type 1 diabetes and you don't know it you have a hard time focusing and concentrating so the other side of this was i thought i was just really stupid everyone else knew what they were doing and i could barely like get a sentence through i was like wait i don't understand what does it say and i had to read the same thing 10 times and like you could barely see everything is kind of fussy on the page and so i did okay my first year but i didn't do well my first Mm -hmm. year so but when i then ended up not going anymore i I had to figure out what to do. And so I started volunteering with an organization called Youth at Risk. And what I ended up doing there, which is kind of hilarious to me today, is I created a curriculum for girls at a school for pregnant teen moms to help them study and figure out what they want to do with their lives. Wow. And I didn't know that there was something called career counseling in the world. Huh. So, fu- so it's kind of funny how things kind of happen. So then when we moved back here, and you know, I was in marketing for many, many years for, I don't know, 10 years total, 12 years, a long time. And I was a marketing manager for seven of those years in nonprofits. And then I went to the dark side, as I call it, because <laughs> I want to make more money. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to make some money. Right. And then I got pregnant with my daughter. And one day I was driving home from work and I started smiling. And I'm like, what's this feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm happy for no reason other than I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> And that kind of made me realize, oh, my God, I really don't like my job. And I kind of knew that, obviously, beforehand, but just how unhappy I was, you know. So, like, the feeling was, I'm having a baby, I get time off, I'm giddy because I don't have to go to work anymore. Yeah, pretty much. Because I don't have to go to work and just, like, this is happiness versus before, that's humdrum, right? So, it's kind of like juxtaposition between, oh, this is what I feel. Obviously, I have a husband and, you know, I love him to death. But just for myself, right? Just being internally happy for yourself. So you're pregnant with your first child and all of a sudden you realize how happy you are and you realize that that happiness does not include the career in marketing. That is correct. So what'd you do? I quit my job. Like just cold turkey? (laughs) No. So I had my daughter and then, you know, through that, I kind of was slowly gaining myself back in some ways that you don't have when you're in a job for eight to 10 hours and you aren't exactly happy and the way things are run is not how you would do it and all of this stuff. You're just sort of putting one foot in front of the other, rather rinse, peach, show up to work and go home. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so I had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life basically all over again. And so when I had my daughter, it gave me time to reflect and think, um, yeah, it's crazy to have a newborn for those of your listeners who have never tried it. You're very busy, very slowly, all day long, because either you're sitting with the baby, and that's all you can do, because the baby's going to cry if you move, right? But there's nothing else to do, so you get to sit with your thoughts, right? Or yeah. you're changing the baby, and then that's what you're doing. And it takes <laughs> 10 minutes, no matter how you do it. But, <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's kind of like, and you're with the baby, and then the baby's sleeping. And then you're, because it's a brand new baby, and it's your first, you just sit there and stare at the baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. So it gives you a lot of time to kind of reflect and think and, I don't know, figure life out. So when it was time for me to be done with being on maternity leave, I went and told them that I was going to leave. And I had kind of started some career research on my own without knowing what a career counselor really was. And I was just trying to figure out, like, what did I want to do and how would it work in my life and what was important, what were my values and, you know, time off and being able to go on vacation, obviously, as you can hear from my story, um, it's important to me. And so I had to come up with, well, what would be a good fit for me? 
and working with students or people who want to figure out what they want to do with their lives or with counseling would probably be a good fit because I really enjoy helping people figure out what they want to do. Yeah. Um, I think about that time was probably around the time that I started seeing you at the coffee shop. Yeah. So I think that's about the time where we met. I met your baby daughter and my own son was very young too. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And then I started grad school again mm-hmm. because then I figured out, well, if I want to be a counselor, what do I need to do? <laughs> oh, I need to go to grad school. Okay. So how do I go to grad school? So it's like kind of working backwards again, right? Uh-huh. And that's what I tell my students. <laughs> so where do you want to be in life? Okay, let's work our way backwards. Right? So, so you've listened to my podcast a little bit. Yeah. So pretend one of our listeners comes in and sits down. Let's pretend this is your office. Okay. And they're like, I'm creative, but I've had to make ends meet, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of them know they want to be creative in a creative career and maybe don't know how to do that. And some of them probably think that they are supposed to do something else. Um, what would you feel like saying and how? what is your process? Like if somebody sits down and, and where do you start? So when someone comes in, um, you know, it's always kind of like in essence, why are you here? So how can I help you? What are we What are we doing today kind of thing? And then depending on the student, they'll be, oh, you know, I'm thinking about my career and what, what do I want to do with my life kind of thing. Oh, okay, what are you thinking? And sometimes they say things and they're completely off for me, right? So they're saying like, um, oh, yeah, yeah, I really want to be an accountant. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm kind of getting this vibe from them <laughs> that that makes no sense, right? Like you can... I think everyone can kind of follow that. Like you, you meet people and they kind of have a vibe, right? Like, and you can kind of from that vibe tell a little bit about the person maybe. So when someone says something that throws you off, you're like, oh, okay, well, cool. You want to be an accountant? No, I thought it was just like, you know, you can't make any money doing that. Oh, well, let's check that out. <laughs> so then I like slowly just go on the computer and we're just casually talking and I'm like, oh, let's look up sound engineer. And so I have... um these career websites where I can see what people make and things like that. Like sound engineer and like, oh, so did you know that that's a job and you can see what you can make? And they're like, I didn't know that. And they're almost done with their certificate or whatever. Oh, you're getting a certificate. Oh, well, did you know you could go get an internship and kind of see if you like it? Oh, I could? You know, so it's kind of like that, you know, for some students, depending on the student, obviously. You know? Yeah, it's like you had to run with the bulls to see if you liked being in a ring with bulls. That's right. I did not. <laughs> 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 yes, no, that's done. And then also the whole um, humane aspect, right? Like at the time, I don't I don't think I was thinking about that. And then afterwards, yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but you love to travel. I love to travel. And you tried it. And now you, now you know. Now I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry for another time. Maybe we'll cut this out. Uh, I got stuck next to Lion, but we could we could talk about that different day. Uh, wait, no, it's <laughs> tangent time. <laughs> next Where, to a, who, what, uh, when, uh, why, how? What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next to a pride of li- lions. So I was in a Kenya. A pride of lions. A pride, you're right. So okay. there's seven of them. You're in just, Kenya. Yeah, so I'm in Kenya. I'm on a safari, and um, so I'm a student. So I went and I went to Kenya as a student, and I'm on a safari with a few other students, and we're in this. So you're inside a bus type thing right and you can kind of look out and i think the roof can open up and you can look out so you can take pictures and stuff and um and then the driver goes down this gully and so we can get a little closer to these lions so we can see them properly right (laughs) and so there's like so they can smell you (laughs) (laughs) he didn't like us and he's like out (laughs) um and so we're being very quiet so we can take pictures so they don't move because obviously they'll leave or maybe perhaps attack. I don't really know to this day. But um, so we're being very quiet and all of a sudden he needs to get out and he can't get out of this gully. 
and so there's bushes around and whatever. Ooh. So the so the bus is stuck. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little one for like seven. Eight the driver's people. trying to get up the hill and right. it's not going. It's not going anywhere. And so he's there. He's trying. He's trying. He's trying. And um, I don't. I think at the the tire punctures, right? And like we we're just stuck. And we're just kind of all sitting there, like no one is saying anything. And the bus driver is not really letting on that all this is happening, but you can just kind of tell, like he's just having a really hard time, right? And the lines are just sleeping, so we're just taking more pictures, not even knowing that we're kind of really stuck, right? And then finally he guns it, or I don't know, he gets unstuck somehow. And as soon as we get up that hill where he's actually like free and he can go, he smoked like a cigarette and a half in like 10 seconds, I kid you not. Like that was when I knew, oh, we were in trouble. Right? Oh. He was just like. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then like we drive for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, and then he stops and changes the tire. But it was like for, like, for that long, he's like, we have to get away from this area. And then <laughs> anyway, that was, I don't even know how we got to that. Was, wow. Oh, you mentioned yeah. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. bulls and lions and yeah. tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing is like, that's what life should be like, right? I mean, if you're if you're like a passionate person and you're creative and you want to live your life, you don't want to be stuck behind some desk doing some boring job and wondering what your life meant at the end. Right. So, but you got to eat and you got to pay your bills. That's right. And, and so you got to figure out how you're going to do all that. I mean, I get the sense that you have a sense of adventure no matter what you do. So maybe that carries into whatever you're doing. If you were going to do something off on your own or if you were going to try and get a career, you have a way of looking at it that includes like, oh, what am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've geeked out with you about is personality types. And Uh, what we discovered was that you and I are both ENFPs. Correct. And so (laughs) every ENFP that I've ever read from or talked to has that problem of like, I love life. I love all these things. I want to save the world. How do I pick? Right. (laughs) And it sounds like hearing in your story, I mean, that whole thing of, well, I love lots of things. I'm good at lots of things is a theme and it's kind of this question of like, well, what do I want to do when I grow up? That And I still juggle with that question. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, you know, so now I'm a career counselor, a counselor at a community college. But is this the last thing I'm going to do? You know, I always think about of that. Of course not. <laughs> right. Like, what's the next thing I'm going to do? Yeah. yeah. Let's jump into what it is you do, because I know in our conversations, I've gotten a feel for that. I just want to kind of talk about, you know, your job. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what would probably help your listeners would be if we went through the Ryasek because then they know what each thing is and yes. they can identify themselves who they are. So there's this thing called the Holland Code and it's an assessment that career counselors use to figure out, to help students figure out kind of what do they want to do with their lives. And it was the psychologist, Dr. Holland, who came up with this. And it was to kind of figure out like, what is it that you like to do? And then kind of match that with, well, what kind of job is there? With the idea that, like-minded people would like to work in the same environment and likewise a job and you would kind of fit and therefore you would like your job in a nutshell. And so he came up with this code called the Ryasek code or Ryasek depending on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a six letter code and each letter represents a specific area, right? So the R, which is the first letter, it stands for realistic and it's the people who like working with their hands. And so people who like to work outdoors, maybe they're athletic. And often we think of this, oh, okay, so what's probably coming to a lot of listeners' minds are like trade schools or construction work. True. 
But it's other things as well. Like you know, police officers walking the beat. They're outdoors. They're walking. They're not in front of a computer. It could be, it could be things like um, motorcycle riding and stunts. There you go, <laughs> motorcycle riding and stunts. Yeah. Or it could be things like radiologic technology, or someone who works at a hospital doing some of those scans. They also work with their hands. So it's not necessarily outdoors or necessarily lower-paying jobs, which I think often we think of when we think of that category. The next to that is the I, which stands for investigative. Or we also call these people the thinkers, right? So it's people who like to problem solve, people who, you know, there's a problem and they solve it. And I think a lot of people often think, oh, scientists, right? So NASA, chemists, um, maybe engineers, like they think, you know, so problem solving, that's very true. A lot of those people fall into that category. But it's also social scientists, like psychologists or sociologists who are working with problems in the world. And it could be things like, I don't know, there's two schools and two neighborhoods and the neighborhoods are exactly the same demographically. But in one school, all the kids are getting A's and they're all going to Ivy Leagues and the other school, half the school is failing. What's going on, right? That's problem solving as well. Right. So a lot of people and detectives, that are, which is another category within police, could fall in there too, trying to figure out what's going on. Computer programmers. Computer programmers. That's right. So that would be the I. Then comes the A. The A stands for artistic, so the creators of the world. And so we all know about, so we all think, oh, that's probably me if you're listening to this podcast, right? So that's, <laughs> if you're a musician or an artist in any way, shape, or form, sculpting, writing, painting, drawing, would all fall in this category. However, it is also people who like working with artists. So you may not be the artist yourself, but you may like being in that environment. Interesting, like Michael Zimmerlich from... Episode three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think, yeah. So exactly. So it's people who just, who like to be in that environment. And I fall in this category very much. I'm an A very much. The next is social. And those are what we call the helpers. So Raya Sekwe at the S. So the helpers of the world. And as it sounds like, it's the people who like helping other people. And that could be counselors and psychologists. It could be teachers, it can be doctors, it could be nurses. So it has a plethora of careers in that category as well. So it's both sciency with the medical and it's also more social sciency with psychology and maybe liberal arts with the teaching. And so many different people can fall in. So if you were high in the S, the helper category, and then you were also, let's say, high in the the R, the realistic, the hands-on, mm -hmm. you would possibly be a good, uh, like, masseuse. Yeah, that or could be. Or if you had a little bit more of the, the problem-solving side of things, maybe a physical therapist. Possibly, yeah. yeah. There's many different categories. Now, I don't remember all the categories by heart, obviously, because there's thousands um, when it comes to professions within each. Well, this is good because you and I have not really talked about the Holland Code, and I don't know the Holland Code, so oh, it's okay. like you get to teach me. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the social side, right? Then we have the E, which stands for enterprising. And these are the entrepreneurs of the world, often. The people who fall into this, so the difference, um, sometimes people get the helpers and it's confused because it's both people who like to work with people in some ways. Mm -hmm. However, on the entrepreneurial side, it's more like politicians. It's more about persuading people versus helping them. So that's the difference between the two. And if you're more to persuading, would you like an iPhone versus a Samsung, right? Then you would probably fall into the entrepreneurial more so than the helper category. 
So this is not like helping us in an old person across the street, right? It's helping us in, I like teaching. I really want people to get better if they're sick. It's that kind of helping. Right. Sort of like the more big picture version of helping instead Correct. of the one-on-one version of right, helping. Right, right, Got it. Yeah. Okay. That can, I can see that that could be really helpful in knowing yourself and really just if you assess yourself, even if you're not sure what job you want, but you know what it is about that particular job job you might like or dislike mm-hmm. so you can better match yourself with what it is right so for instance writers could easily fall into entrepreneurial if you like to persuade people and write press releases and write for a company so there's definitely ways that you can be entrepreneurial and being an artist at the same time right mm-hmm. so a ceo is often fall in this category but they could easily fall in other categories as well I already mentioned politicians and like marketing people, sales people. Anyone who likes to persuade someone else is, is in this category. And then the last, um, the C is the last letter in the RIASEC. And that stands for conventional. And that's really people who like things done in a certain order. So accountants fall into this category, right? You'd want to have a strong C if you were going to go into a career in accounting. If you like numbers and you like being by yourself and in front of a computer. So there's other things in it, right? Right. You might like a career in accounting if you are a strong C because you have to follow specific rules. For mm-hmm. instance, I would be a horrible accountant because <laughs> <laughs> because accountants, you know, they kind of have to go from point, to, you know, they have to do A and then they do B and then they do and C. And then they fill out form 652. Perhaps. D, yes. Yes. And that's the little worksheet that has to be done before you can fill in the like F field right. on the, yeah. Correct. And I would be so bored, I'd want to fill in the F before I could fill in that form. <laughs> and then, you know, I would do it backwards and forwards and everything else. In I between. have this annoying habit that drives my wife crazy. She's a librarian now. And I will go to the bookstore and I will take a book, just any book off the shelf that catches my attention, and I'll open it to somewhere random in the middle. <laughs> and I'll just start reading, like, close to the middle, close to the end, or something like that. And she's, why would you do that? You're going to spoil the story? I'm like, no, I want to read from the middle so I know if it's interesting. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I would score very low on C. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, no, I, would, well. I am not a C. But, uh, yeah, so that's what C is. And then, for you know, some people are just really C, and they really enjoy that things are the way they are, and that you could put it in a box. And, the, and so some of the more um, so accounting is easy to put into this category like maybe administrative assistant is easy to put in this category but things like engineering sometimes fall in this category or chemistry because you have to do things in a certain way right if you mix the wrong chemical the wrong way now you're going like, to make an explosion instead of what you were intending to do mm, or toxic gas just as good oh yeah. yes right I mean mm-hmm. inc- exactly so yeah, so those are the that's kind of the RIASEC in a nutshell and what they each are. And so then the next step would be for you, if you would, Stephen, is to decide which one is your number one. Which is my number one. So out of hands-on, in, investigational. Artistic. Artistic. Social, which is helping. Social. Entrepreneurial, enterprising, uh-huh. or conventional. I think conventional is definitely the lowest on the list. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think that enterprising might be one of my higher traits. So we usually say your top three. And usually people will be like, oh, I'm definitely this, right? Uh And then like, oh, you know, this one. And some people will be like, oh, yeah, number two was easy. And number three, I'm not sure between these. And then we'll kind of flush it out. Well, why did you say this? And why did you say that? And what is it about this? And what is it about that? And why are you kind of, what's the concern for you? And other times it's more, they know what the top three are, they just don't know which one is more important. So it just kind of right. depends on the person. But now they have this code and a lot of websites use this code to help students. So one of them is a government website called 
ownetonline.org. And you can go on our website and there's a little bar and it says interests. And you click on that. And then you put in, it asks you, social, for instance, you put that first. And you can put all three codes in and hit search. And now comes this magical list of many, many, many different careers that are potential good matches for you. Now, I say potential because depending on your interest, which we don't really go into with this particular assessment, may or may not be. Like, for instance, for me, I think bartender comes up and (laughs) park ranger. Like, there's a bunch of things that come up, right? I could see you being an excellent bartender. I could be an excellent bartender. But do I want to be it? Maybe the drinks would be hit and miss, (laughs) but definitely the conversation about lions and tigers and bears would be amazing. Oh, my. Um... (laughs) So another aside, I was a bartender for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Just for a minute in Ecuador. So it wasn't for a long time. In Ecuador. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) This just gets better and better. (laughs) (laughs) Again, another story for another time. But so my point is that depending on your interests, you could have a lot of things come up and some of them would be a match and some wouldn't. And then you could just do two of your three top and see what comes up. And there's probably some things in there that would work okay with you, even though it didn't hit all three. So and then you also, I mean, I would say, knowing you, you are the type of person who does like to help people and does like to learn about people and help people learn about themselves. You and I have had conversations about my business, and we've had conversations about people that you've done career counseling with, artists, and trying to find their way and things like that. So I guess we've arrived at the now. So yes. <laughs> tell me more. All right. So so I fell into career counseling as a lot of people fall into things. So I knew it was going to be a counselor, but what level, right? So then I tried high school. I was like, no, that is not for me. I tried junior high school. Not for me. I did a four-hour observation at a community college. And I was like, yes, this is for me. Huh. And um, the counselor I was observing, she taught. She was helping a student with their educational planning and which is kind of the more academic part of what I do. But the career counseling is more figuring out what you want to do with your life. So there's multiple parts of this. So it's almost like you're helping younger versions of yourself. You know, sometimes. Right. And sometimes people are completely different than me, but and that's okay because it's yeah. not about me. It's about them and what they want, right? So Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how I arrived at, at career counseling. I did an internship for a year and a half in career counseling, and that really kind of turned me on to it and all the assessments, like like the MBTI and the Raya Seiko Holland Code and uh, other things. So, yeah. You know, it'd be very useful to go in and maybe do your own Holland Code and take mm-hmm. a look at what you are, even if you're not going to go look down the list of careers, but maybe you're already in a career, you're just needing to make a pivot within where you already are to also know which one's the top and which one's the middle. Right. To know these things about yourself is so important, right. you know, so that you can prioritize the focus in your life. We'll put that in the show notes. Because it's your life. It's your experience. And if you're not enjoying yourself, like you were in marketing, maybe someone else's dream job, but you found out that you weren't happy there. Correct. And that happens to people a lot of times. And sometimes it's just there's something little that doesn't line up with a core value of that you have or a core competency that you have. And it's when all those things overlap that the magic happens. Yeah. I feel like that's part of what you do as a career counselor is using your investigative mind mm-hmm. and also using your intuitive feeling about how somebody's presenting information to you and whether or not it feels authentic to help guide a person Mm -hmm. into what could be a better choice for them. And you must also have a strong helper side. Um, I do. So I'm SAI. 
What's that mean? So social, artistic, and investigative. Okay. Those are my three strong. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm entrepreneurial, uh, investigative, and artistic. Maybe not in that order. Mm-hmm. So that's like your top three, and then yeah. So, but that being said, that they can take it, possibly can take an assessment on their own. I would really, really encourage everyone to see a career counselor, even if it is just at the local community college, because they're really good. Just a little plug. Because to have someone interpret it is, can be really important. Because sometimes what comes out on a test, depending on the mood the person was in or how they answered the questions, may not be what... Or what you think your parents want you to answer. Right. So it, that or... I mean, sometimes, you know, it can be really skewed because the day you had, or if you don't have someone telling you, you know, you have to answer this, just kind of the first thing that comes to mind, not, you know, don't think too much about it. Or right, if you don't overthink it. it. And, yeah. yeah. And so with those types of things, that's why it's important to have someone help you interpret it and not try and do it on your own. Let's talk about authenticity. Let's talk about, I know it can be daunting for someone who's trying to figure it out. Um, right. You and know. also stay true to yourself. I think that's yeah. number one. I mean, you mentioned when something didn't resonate, the person's telling you that they want to be some accounting or whatever job, and then you could tell it doesn't match. Right. So you have your daughter now, and that's sort of like your parachute out of the career you didn't like, and you decide to pursue this new career. There's there's sort of a lot of ways we can go with that question. Um, what? That's a very career thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Career counseling thing to say. So I can go in this way, in this direction, in this direction. <laughs> so tell me about what it's like being a mom and going to college and really trying to figure out your direction and apply for jobs and do all these things when you're so used to mobility and freedom and travel and all these things. And now all of a sudden you have this other little person who's dependent on you. What did that do? Well, in my life, that's just another challenge. So how do I figure that out? Right? That's kind of how I look at it. And then I just take her with me. I mean, the idea is we're not done traveling. She's talking about China and her huh. her papa is going to China and she's really jealous. So we're <laughs> going to have to make a trip to China at some point soon. Um, but yeah, so that's always been kind of my modus operandi. Okay, so now I have this person to think about too. So now how do I do it? So then I do it, you know, how I do it. So for me, I was lucky and fortunate enough that my master's program was once a week and every other Saturday. And so that meant that I didn't have too much to worry about. And then I would study when she was sleeping, right? So that was kind of how I did it. And then the second one came along seven months before I was done with my program. Now that was a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole nother ballgame when there's two of them and they don't sleep at the same time. You don't have like, oh, I can just study when that person is sleeping. Doesn't exactly work that well anymore. So yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so I finished it. I think like many, you know, you do what you have to do when you get through it. You prioritize how badly do you want it. Something I often tell my students, well, what's your priority? Is it going to school? Is it working? Like, how badly do you want this? Like, what are you trying to do? Um, and like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. What is my priority? You know, they kind of think about it. And like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, school is my priority. I don't know, you know, I really need to work because I need to eat. Good point. Let's go. <laughs> Let's work so you can eat and then take classes part time. That's a good choice for you. So yeah. it's all about priorities, right? So, mm. wow, I've never found myself at a loss for words <laughs> in one of these things. I think it's just going to let you keep talking. That's so um, funny. <laughs> so, okay, so then I got into career counseling 
And I love what I do. And I love seeing students come in, whether they're career changers. I had a student once and this person, it's now, it's a couple of years ago I helped her. She came in, she did an assessment on, at the MBTI and she was working in a job and I forget exactly what she did. I don't remember if it was like, I think it was recruiting or something like that. And she was so different than everyone else who worked in the office. And her passion was theater. And she did that as a volunteer on the side. And so we talked about her MBTI and we talked about her personality and how that can affect what you do. And we did the Holland Code and does she like working with her hands, being in an office and all of this stuff. And she shared that the way she left that job was basically like screaming and hollering at her boss and then slamming the door and leaving, you know. <laughs> and she realized afterwards that she didn't care about the shoes she was wearing or that the things that a lot of the other people in that office environment cared about. And she never saw it that way before, that that's just not her thing. That's not who she is. That's not. And that's why she was having such a hard time vibing in that environment. Right. And so then she decided, you know, she was going to. So she had quit that job and I come back like, oh, my God, what do I do? You know, huh. what's what's my life? What am I going to do? Because I need to make money, you know. Uh-huh. And she realized, yeah, theater. And she was going to try and pursue that. Okay, so wow, like pursuing theater. From being in a corporate environment, I mean, being being in a corporate environment, she was going to try and do it. But um, pursuing theater how? Like you said, the making money part, right? So yeah, as, this is part of the question you probably get a lot. Yeah, so I think we looked at, she knew she wasn't going to be able to make the same amount of money. Was it directing theater? I forget her ex- like exactly what it was that she did. With she wasn't an actor or anything like that. She was kind of behind the scenes in some way, shape, or form. But I honestly don't remember what it was. But it was just that realization, and it's one of the first time where I kind of saw my impact. Right. All right. Here's a student. Here's someone who comes in. They're a career changer. They've had ten years at least out in the real world. Now they they're coming to me. They did this assessment. We we're kind of going over it together to kind of see like, oh, is this correct? Is this who they are? And they have this like epiphany like oh yeah i get it i get why i didn't fit in that corporate environment huh. yeah so, so now I, you're hooked now you're like i'm changing lives yeah <laughs> i'm making <laughs> right? a difference in the world right this was yeah. an intern that's right in a p yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> change the world so yeah so that was one of the ones that made a really big impact on me like oh wow you know she figured it out that you know yeah this is why that didn't work for me and why i am pursuing this and why this has always been in my DNA, if you will. For me, it was interesting because my family has all these connections in the stunt business, in movies and TV and commercials, and I did not want to do stunts. Mm-hmm. So it was like, imagine if you know everyone in the world that's important, but they're not in your industry. I knew no one in music. Mm-hmm. So I had to really make connections in that world and meet people. I kind of had to still make myself in that regard and for a while i think i struggled with my identity with that because there became a point where i was like you know i could have two houses and a nice car and all these other things that people in that industry like to collect as successful people a boat you know whatever i could have all these things if i had just i'm athletic enough you know i could have done stunts and you know i just look at that back and then go no that wasn't what i wanted that wasn't what was right for me I don't like pain enough. (laughs) And so I just happen to be the the Levitt kid who does not do stunts. I have done stunts. I do know about it. I actually done okay with talent, but you know, that just wasn't my passion. And so I'm finally, after many, many years, starting to see momentum in my chosen field, but it's taken 
It's like that overnight success that takes 20 years. Right. And I think a lot of people don't see that. There's a very entrepreneurial aspect to certain arts Mm -hmm. that I think the people who really, really go far have that entrepreneurial streak in them. You see that with Eminem. You see that with Madonna. You know, the people who really build the empires, they have that kind of makeup. I love entrepreneurship. I also like to dabble in that on this show, even though it's a show about creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think entrepreneurship is creativity. What do you say to students that are obviously entrepreneurs? And how do you identify that? What do you tell them? Yeah, they they already started. So I'm the one fascinated by them and asking them all the questions. <laughs> How did you get started? What did you do? Because then I can give that information on to the next student, right? So uh-huh. the student who comes in and is like, oh, yeah, I really want to do this, but I don't know how to get started. But, oh, I just, I just talked to someone who has an Instagram account and is selling their nutrition information online or whatever it is, right? And then the, you know, the next one's like, oh, really? That's how you get started with that? I'm like, I don't really know, but that's how that student is making money, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely something to be said about being an entrepreneur when you're an artist, right? Because how are you going to get your art out there? And that's a very business-minded approach. My and mom so, thinks I should have gotten a business major. She's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> right, but and that's kind of like another side of the brain. So there's this artistic side. And then now yeah. all of a sudden, yeah, you're an artist and you're a singer or you're, I don't know, an illustrator, whatever it is. And now you need to go make some money doing that. How do you do that? Because you don't want to work for someone else. You want to do it on your own. And how do I start a business? And now they have to work, use this other side of their brain, right? Yeah, it is. I think the brain balance is an interesting topic because some people have both. Mm-hmm. Some people are predominantly right brain. And I feel that the right brain in our society get the short end of the stick. Mm-hmm. And it's not invalid. In fact, Daniel Pink wrote a great book called A Whole New Mind. And in it, he talks about why accounting and other method-based predictable careers that are more left brain are going to start disappearing and not become as stable as they were because of automation. Mm. Anything that can be reduced to a script can be automated and can be replaced by an algorithm or a robot. And so the jobs of the past, he says the jobs of the 20th century were left-brained jobs. The jobs of the future are going to require more and more out-of-the-box creative thinking and storytelling, which means, hello, creatives, it's your time to shine. (laughs) Right, as long as you can work within the confines of a corporation, right? Or, you know, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and ultimately I think you're, you're either working within a corporation or you're having to learn how to create your own corporation right? because there are certain things that you have to learn regardless. I mean, even if you are selling your own art, you have to learn how Redbubble works. You have to learn how to do shipping and receiving and orders and things like that. And if you don't, learn a little bit about the marketing side, at least to know enough what you don't know, to know who to have help you with that. It's a really hard road. I see this with musicians all the time. You record an album, who's going to listen to it? Mm -hmm. How do you get it out there? I mean, on the one hand, the world is your oyster because you can just make a record on your laptop and then put it on iTunes. But then it's on iTunes and how is anyone going to find it? It's Mm -hmm. like it used to be different. You used to, you know, sell your music to a corporation and the record company would take almost all of it and you'd make pennies. 
but then at least they would promote you. They'd put you on tour. They'd give you, you know, press junkets. They'd advertise. They do all this business stuff for you. So it's a trade-off, right? You have to now, you get to be the master of your own destiny, but everything's a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're the master of your own destiny. So if you don't know what to do, then it can be really hard to figure it out. That is correct. Hi, everyone. This is Justin of The Oceanographers, and I just want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Language of Creativity. I also wanted to let you know that Stephen Lovett, the host of Language of Creativity, also does amazing work as an advisor or coach. If you're looking for advice in the music industry, starting a podcast, anything related to sound, he does this through his other company, I Create Sound. For me personally, I couldn't have gotten my first album done at all without his help. Like, seriously, I don't think the Oceanographer's album would have been completed. I was knee deep in mix reviews and going back and forth with my mixer and I really didn't know where I was headed, but Steven really helped me keep on track and helped me get the quality that I really wanted out of my music. If you're looking for someone that has a really great ear and will put you in the right direction, please check him out at iCreateSound.com and fill out a contact form so that he can get in contact with you and you guys can be on your way to musical bliss. All right, thanks. So let's ask about you in particular. I mean, you're creative too. Yes. Uh, Yes. Yeah. And (laughs) remember the battery conversation? The battery conversation. You have a DSLR. You have a camera. Oh, right. And you mm-hmm. wanted to take pictures. And I remember you saying, oh, but I oh, have yes. this camera and I don't have much time and the kids and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I have this little time to take pictures, but I just, I, I can't find the battery. Is that, <laughs> that kind of how it went? The charger to the battery. The charger to the battery. Yes. Yeah. So tell me that story. All right. So we were talking and it was kind of like, ah, you know, I could do some photography on the side. And I was kind of thinking... So as a lot of creatives, right, we have multiple jobs and we kind of piece things together. And I kind of, it was almost Christmas. I was like, you know what? I should just try this. I should try and do my, try and take some pictures and see what happens. See if I can get paid doing this, right? Because I knew I've been taking pictures for a really, really long time. So one of my dads takes pictures. And so I got that kind of from him and he always gave me his old gear and things like that. And so I knew I could, I knew how to take pictures. I've taken a couple of classes as well. And so that wasn't really the issue. It was more that gulp, you know, charging people and also taking pictures of people. Are they going to like it? So I had that nervous energy. And I think a lot of people do, right? It's different when you do it for yourself and people tell you, oh, you're good at that. That's awesome. And then now you have to charge and it's like, I don't know. Am I good enough? Right? There's that. And so then I talked to you. And as you left the coffee shop, you said, just buy the effing battery charger. <laughs> just just me- buy the charger, Teresa. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you said. And then I What's was- it, $30, $40? Yep. Yeah. And then it took me a year, and then I bought it. <laughs> but I bought it because of that conversation, and you were like, just I remember the day you came in, you're like, Steve, I bought the charger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And what happened when you bought that charger? After so that. I charged my battery <laughs> and I started taking pictures. So I, and then I started advertising. I took some pictures of my kids because I figured kind of like what's the lowest hanging fruit. Right? So when you're trying to start a new business, I have an entrepreneurial spirit and I've actually, this is not my first time starting a new business, which you don't know about. 
Um, but again, that's that whole Renaissance woman thing, right? So oh, we I, will talk about that. Oh, Keep we, going. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what's the lowest hanging fruit? And we live in a community with lots and lots of kids and lots of little kids. And I have a three and a five year old. And so it kind of made sense that that's where I would start. And then I advertised and I started charging and slowly got better and better. And that nervousness went away and struggled like every artist, I think, well, this is good enough. <laughs> and then finally realizing you got to do this a little more kind of constructive and have your system set up. And this is how much time you spend on each picture and, you know, kind of figuring it out so you don't, you know, make 50 cents an hour. Well, <laughs> guilty. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about it, right? Like you start in kind of because you have that entrepreneur mindset, you say, okay, where's the business? Mm-hmm. Not what do I want to make and how do I get people to pay for it? But in this case, you're like, I just want to get my hands on a camera and be taking pictures and it would be nice if I made some money. Right. So for you, it wasn't a compromise to say, I want to shoot kids. You actually like shooting kids. Yes. Yeah. And you're good with kids and you like the entrepreneurial side. So for you, part of the fun is figuring out the what to charge, how to, you know, all the businessy side things. And that's awesome. Part of it, too. I know we talked about the editing, right? Photoshop and you take these pictures and kids move really fast and you mm-hmm. get what you get. I mean, you get it's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get a great shot. Sometimes you get a decent shot, but you know that it's the parents' kids. So no matter what the shot looks like, it's oh, it's my kids. You know, <laughs> unless it's a terrible shot, right? Right. But so yeah, you've got to deal with what I call a spec. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of an expectation in terms of minimal level of technical delivery. Correct. And so even though people might not know what that is, if they're the client, it's your job as the technician, in this case, as a creative in a technical field, to know how to meet spec. Instead, said you Correct. went on like a photography forum group and you showed a couple of your photos and said, okay, what about the color balance on right. this? And you had a way you were leaning, but then everybody liked the warmer colors and right. you liked the cooler colors. Right. So I'm part of a photo group like a private photo group and it's for photographers who want to go pro and some have done it for years and some have been pro for years and they just like to be in this community. So it's kind of like a little trade community. Yeah. 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 Like a trade group. That's a good thing to join, by the way. Absolutely, for sure. And so everyone kind of posts and asks for comments about their photos and what looks good and what doesn't and how could they change the shot or what needs to be different and some technical things like, you know, what do I, how do I do this in Photoshop or, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And so I had these two images and I really, I like cool images. It's just cool in color. Um, it means bluer on the scale. Bluer, right. Yeah. Warmer would be more like yellows and reds. Correct. And yeah. so I just kind of like that cooler look a little bit better. But everyone else said that the more yellow, the more, and I find all of their pictures I hope no one who listens to this. I'm not going to mention the name of the group now. <laughs> I find them way too yellow, right? <laughs> I just feel like they're so done up and they're not natural. And they're just, they look too, I don't know, yellow. I don't even know how to explain like it. Just somebody slapping an Instagram filter on correct, everything. Something like yeah. that. So I, what I like to take photos of is more landscapes. And when I do it on my own, or it would be more candid, not so much like setup shots and things like that. Although it's a learning curve and it's a lot of fun now that I'm doing it, but my propensity would be to go and do like landscapes or something else. So, so, so yeah. And then I choose what I want it 
yellow or not, right? Yeah, so you, you maybe could create an outlet for yourself in terms of the photos you want to take. So you have your business over here, which is your entrepreneurial playground. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I'm going to tweak this until people love it and pay me more. Mm-hmm. And then you have your outlet, which is, okay, I'm learning all these technical skills. I'm getting good with the camera, the ISO, the exposure, and the darkroom stuff like Photoshop. And then I can take those skills technically, which I'm practicing over here in this business. And then when I go to shoot my own photos, those get to come with me. Right. right. Yeah. Have you found that you need to be really intentional about creating time for your own free expression creatively? Yeah, so that hasn't happened in a while. So that's what happens when you have kids. (laughs) (laughs) So I have that outlet with, and that's why I kind of go all out when I do the shots with the kids, right? I'll do like balloon shots. It looks like they're they're floating in the air or <laughs> like I, you know, I'll have the, the parents like throw the kids up in the air and I'll take the shot like that. Or, you know, I try <laughs> to be creative in that sense versus, you know, here's a snapshot in front of a tree. Although those I obviously I take as well because that's what the parents often want. You know, they want them to smile and kind of set up so does anybody um, ever like do anything weird like ask you to do american gothic or anything no that has not happened yet but that would be awesome i'm sure could yeah you know and that's the challenge right so you start this little side business and people are coming to you for a particular thing if you start a business photographing kids people want their kids to smile you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And so if you're trying to do something different than that, you almost need to know that going into it. And right. you need to know what you're selling to the person who's buying your service. You know, in this case, you're in the service business. You're actually creating a service. So it's like a product, but it's a product service right. that you're doing for someone and you're creating an expectation. You have to set that expectation. You right. Have to, no, that's true. You have to define that expectation. If you if you so if you want to shoot really arty American Gothic photos of kids, you need to find, you know, parents who think that's cool. Right. And you right. need to like make your portfolio look like that. So that's what people see. Like, oh, I love this crazy thing. I'm going to put all the, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, really, I think the world is your oyster in terms of what you could do. But a lot of times is a question of is like how to get people to pay for it. True. You know, now, so I'm in this really lucky position where career counseling is really my passion and I love it. And this was something I'm trying on the side. And I love that I'm doing it because it's stretching me artistically and in many, many different ways that, you know, I wasn't stretched in before. But I don't necessarily have to find my style in the same fashion that someone who wants to do that as a profession, right? I do if I want to make a lot of money doing it, but I'm dabbling and I'm kind of trying it out and I'm seeing if it's something that's fun for me and I'm seeing if it's too stressful. Do I like it, right? So that's a little bit of a different intention. So I don't have to be as intentional or strategic about how I go about doing it. You're not going to not eat based on this little side photography business which makes it more fun right no exactly yeah i mean that's one of the things that i mention to people is it really helps if your art is freed up from the pressures of survival right and i know that's really hard to do it's really a matter of letting go of what you're doing right i had actually thought of it making a profession at one point when i first had emma I was kind of like counseling photography and I actually looked at photography schools. I called them up. I talked to them about what it is. And then I kind of went through a day in the life of a photographer who does like wedding photography. And it stressed me out to no end. And I just come <laughs> from a stressful job. And I mean, there's no way I'm going to do that. for the There rest is of my life. no more stressful job than wedding photography. Talk about expectation I know. gap. 
I know. This is the one time and you better get it. Yeah. And then traveling without kids. So a lot of photography, if you were to do, you know, National Geographic is a lot of, you know, that's like the zenith of you've made it as a photographer, right? I would be away from my kids and then that's not what I would want, right? So what is something? And I just, again, fell into career counseling. I mean, I with intention, but... So photography has always been a passion and something creative I've done on the side. And so that's probably what it's going to continue to be. Maybe making a little cash on the side now that I know that I can. But <laughs> but it, what I'm realizing is I need to give the people what they want, not what I want them to have, right? And so that's that. I think that's a creative and that's the artistic. I don't know what to call it. That's the artist in me, right? That kind of... And then do they like it, right? And then, oh, well, maybe they don't like what I'm going to do because that's not what they are expecting. Where if I just did my own art, I don't care. And then, well, I would totally care if someone liked it or not. But on a whole other level. <laughs> Let's like, be honest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Of course I would care. But on a whole other level, right? It's yeah. much more personal. Where when you take pictures of people with this expectation and you have to set it up and you know exactly like kind of with the ISO and the white balance and what they like and what they want. You do that because that's a job, right? I don't think people realize if you're a visual person and you're good with visual creating, the distinction between what it's like to design for clients who have a very clear picture in mind. There's something everybody's already done that they're trying to copy because they want to be in the zeitgeist. There's an industry spec versus originality, which a lot of times, unless you're known for you're at the pinnacle of your career it's a hard sell yeah. part of i think the artists who do well understand selling and a lot of artists don't have that in their dna right so especially if there's issues of personal worth attached to your art i think that makes it even harder because then when a higher up says no that's not it we want this instead it could be like, you know, a crushing weight on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, yes, yeah, so you get the student who comes in and says, I want to be a graphic designer because they've reasoned in their mind that that's a path that would pay. So how do you how do you assess that? So, for instance, with artists, what I often do to see if they would be happy in a corporate job, for instance, if it's like graphic design, oh, I just want to do graphic design and we'll start talking about it. And so in my previous life, I was a marketing manager. So I know a little bit about graphic design and how they work because I had graphic designers work with me. I'll start talking to them about, oh, okay, you'd like to create art for like a company. Oh, okay, we'll kind of talk about that. I'm like, oh, so how do you feel about someone else telling you how to create it and what to mm-hmm. do? And that's where you kind of separate the ones that, oh, yeah, I'm fine with that. I just want to do graphic <laughs> design versus the ones who are like, oh, no, no, no. Like, it has to be mine, you know? Right. And, and that's where you kind of see the artist versus the person who's okay with working in a corporate. So often in graphic design, I would say you need a bachelor's degree if you want a job with a big corporation. And then it's a matter of, well, where do you want to work and what do you want to do with it? And so one of the things I often talk to someone about, well, if you work for a company, you would have to promote their product. And then, oh, I will, I'll promote anyone, right? So and <laughs> then we talk a little bit more. It's like, well, would you be okay with cigarettes? Would you be okay with alcohol? Would you be? And then it kind of comes, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. I was just thinking about designing. Well, and, and you worked in advertising, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So And so then it's a matter of, oh, okay, so your values are important, right? So what would be okay for you? Right? Would Coca-Cola be okay? Would some small mom and pop, but you know that, or like a mid-sized company be okay? Would oil be okay? Or would you prefer 
company that has sustainability in its title or whatever. Yeah. And so then it's just kind of that conversation a little bit. And I talked to them about how, well, once you have some experience in a field, it's easy to get a job in that same industry, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were in the hotel business, it's easy to get another graphic design job possibly in kind of the tourism industry versus oil and gas or something. Well, because you're building a portfolio, right? And even if you're working for someone else at another company, any project that you do while in the scope of that company, you add to your portfolio so that when the next company or the next client, if you're freelance, looks at you, they say, well, what have you done? What does it look like? And they can kind of get a sense of your aesthetic. They can get a sense of the kind of accounts you've had. And if you've had big looking accounts, then you look like the kind of person who can handle bigger accounts. Because I think a large part of that business is what are your people skills like? Correct. How well do you take direction? Are you good at meetings? Do you know how to return an email? Are you professional? You know, a lot of those things. I think companies will presume you are hopefully getting from being a college graduate, but I've found not always the case. So yeah, so if so, once you have a job like that, we're, if we're going to go back to like, are they going to freelance? That's what you were kind of learning to now. After you had a couple of jobs and you kind of get the hang of what does it mean to work for someone? How do I create something that someone else will like and not just what I'm thinking in my own head that it should look like? Now you can start freelancing. And so if you start, I mean, you can start at any time. And some students, you know, they, they're really talented and they started before they even finish their, yeah. their degree just as a side gig so they can start making some money. And I always encourage that because it's also a way for you to kind of check out your job before you <laughs> actually make it your career. Right? Yeah. Sort of like test drive. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's good even if you don't end up in that industry because some of the skills are transferable. I used to design websites back when websites were Mm newish, and that was actually a good experience in project management and client relations. And eventually I had to decide I just want to do music only because there was too many things. It took me way too long to build websites and that that was not my passion. So I stopped doing it. And I had clients who were mad. They're like, no, you need to do my website. I'm like, no, I don't do websites anymore. (laughs) But I've also done video editing and other things besides audio. So you could kind of focus too narrow or you could focus too wide and never really make any progress anywhere. Have you ever had any students like that? Absolutely. Career counseling is very individual, right? It's because everyone is so different in how how they are and what's important, what are their values, you know, what do they want out of life? And so it's exactly what we talked about before. So students who are kind of, they can't figure out what their major should be, for instance, right? So they want to do five or 10 different things. And it's a matter of then having that conversation about a little bit about what their personality is, a little bit about the kind of work they would like to do. So it's really about trying to match a person with what they like to do in the workplace. So do you like working with your hands? Are you someone who likes to think things through? Are you more artistic or like to work with artists? Are you social and would like to, and more what we call a helper or wanting to teach someone? And so everyone kind of gets a code out of this. And from that code, if you have 10 different things you like to do, now we can slowly narrow it down. Often some of them are the same code more or less, right? And some of them are completely different. And it's a way for a student to kind of, I don't know, stratify, classify, however you want to call it. Uh, You know, what are hobbies maybe more and Mm -hmm. what are things they'd like to do kind of? No, I actually think this is really important because... I have a friend who has to work with his hands. I feel like that's why a lot of people get unhappy in corporate life because you get stuck in a desk job 
and all your work is inside. And if you're the kind of person who's, let's say, a kinesthetic learner or you need to be making things, I think of the end of office space where Peter had been working in a software company, filling out TPS reports all day and working on Saturday. And then he's happy in a construction job by the end of the movie because he's like, I get to be outside. I get to work with my hands. I get my workout at work. And he's suddenly happier because he gets his life back. He actually loves his living. <laughs> in The Holland Code, you assess how social someone is. I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because I noticed as an extrovert, one of the things that I was having trouble with being my own boss was I would come to work and if there wasn't clients in the studio, it would be hard for me to get through the day's work because I would feel like here I am sitting at my desk alone and I couldn't motivate myself. I realized, oh, if I go to coffee in the morning and go to the neighborhood coffee shop that we all love I get to sit, I get to be around people. Sometimes I don't even need to talk to people, but most of the time I find people like you and like Chris and Matias and different people that I sit down with and get to talk about life. And it's like the water cooler. So my life hack was when I started doing that first thing in the morning as an extrovert, then by the time I got to work, I was ready to sit down and dig into the work I was excited about because I do like my work. But I didn't like being alone all the time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't suiting me as a person. And so just making that one little shift was huge. So you're talking about assessing people based on known criteria and where they fall, let's say, on a spectrum, right? Well, in this case, it's not so much a spectrum. It's more just what are your preferences? So do you like working with your hands, like you were saying, your friend, right? And if that's what you like to do, maybe becoming an accountant isn't the best choice, right? So yeah. that's kind of, it's talking about going through the entire assessment and then figuring out where your strengths, what you like, giving some examples. So the working with your hand is called realistic, right? So it's talking about they may like being outdoors or being more athletic. And so then it's talking about different jobs where that would be possible. It could be a park ranger. It could be... Even things like working at a hospital in like respiratory therapy where you walk around, you're not in front of a computer all day long, right? Right. So there's a lot of jobs and careers you can do that are not just outdoors. So I think a lot of people think that, oh, outdoors, oh, that's not me. But it could be, like you say, it could also be artists. Maybe that's not their first and preferred letter because you get a three-letter code at the end. It might be one of the other two. But it could be part of what you like about being an artist that you're using your hands or using your voice so you're not sitting in front of a computer and you're creating something, which is then the artistic, which is a different code in this Holland code. So depending on what your code is, the government has actually come up with a website that has this code and you can type it in and you can see all the jobs that work for you with whatever code you come out with. Now, that being said, of course, a code is as good as, you know, as you overthink this, then you may like, oh, I'm, I'm really this, you know, or I should be this. And therefore you go yeah. away from something else, right? So if you're not honest with yourself while doing this, you could end up becoming an accountant. And what you really want to do is go rock on, right? So I thought that the information on this episode was so valuable that I let the runtime go a little bit longer on it. If 
you feel like you need a break or you need to come back to it, be welcome to pause the podcast and come back at a later time. But I'm just going to let it roll for a little while. I hope you enjoy. Do you ever find that people misidentify themselves based on other people's expectations? I mean, we talked about that earlier, right? What does that look like and how do you open that up for someone? So it happens often. So that's why we, after they take these assessments, then they come and then we help them go over their results. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we can kind of work through that and see, but what what did that look like? Oh, why, how did that come up? Right? Um, sometimes also they're very close. So just a couple of weeks ago, I was facilitating this workshop and this person had a lot of experience working in an office. But he was just diving into music and he thought that music was really cool. And he was like, wow, this is like a different side of him. You know, he's a brand new student. He's never really, I don't know, experienced being able to take a class in music before and learning how to read notes. And uh, so he was really excited about that. And so his assessment came up where he was almost identical in like work and corporate kind of jobs and being kind of kind of right, wanting everything the same and um being good at office work and filing and things like that. So liking structure. Correct, liking structure. So because he'd had a lot of jobs doing that. And then this art thing was like one point away from being the exact same. And so that's where it's like, okay, well, was there a bias in there, right? So that's where we have to have the conversation. Is there a bias in there? Because he has all this experience and it feels comfortable right? versus this new thing that he's just developing. And so it might be too new for him to really have a true, true interest in there. Mm-hmm. When I think for people, a lot of times a discovery of something new like the music, and like, oh, I really like this, can happen by accident. And I see that all the time with stories of people who are like, well, I set out to do this career, and then somehow this other person knew this person who, who said, here, can you help me out with this? And then they fell into this other career that they loved. That happened to my mom. She was a motorcycle rider, and as a child, she competed as a teenager. And then someone called her and said, do you want to be in a movie? And then the rest is history. And she's like, oh, my gosh, they're paying me to play. (laughs) (laughs) And she still does it now, which is incredible. So I've heard countless stories of that. And what it made me think of with, let's say, for instance, an artist who really should be working with their hands. I mean, a lot of artists emerge early. So, you know, with music, I started music really young. So I always knew music was my thing. But some people, I think they have an interest in anything creative and maybe they've never tried pottery. Maybe they've never tried something a little bit more hands-on that somehow they find this like subtle shift in, yes, it's creative, but okay, it's also creative and now I'm working with my hands and that's important to me. Or, you know, I have a really good eye for things and I've always loved taking pictures, but I'm also a really good storyteller and maybe cinematography is something that they've never looked into. Maybe they didn't know that that was a job. Maybe they didn't know that, okay, there's the director, but there's also the director of photography who their job is to make the shot look beautiful. And they think they like to take pictures, which they're probably always going to do, but there's actually a job where you make the frame look beautiful and you light it and you do all those things. Maybe somebody doesn't know that exists because they've never looked into it. So... Hopefully that's one of the things that college offers to students is exposure to the world and the ability to take a class that's not in your track and get exposed to something almost by accident. Have a friend who says, oh, come to this running meet or whatever. 
And I think that's the ideal of a liberal arts education. That's what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's what happens most of the time. Maybe more in a community college setting, but I think anymore, I see this trend that bothers me of college prep preschool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, I see a lot in our town parents who put their children on a track for something, even if it's something great like the Olympics, before they even really have a chance to explore themselves and learn about life and try different things. So the great thing about this is one of the good things, whether it's a community college or a four-year. The first two years is general education. And in there, you have arts and humanities and social sciences and, and sciences and math. And so you have to take a little bit of everything. It's kind of a little bit an extension of high school in some ways, um, except you have more classes to choose from. And so depending on where you want to go, you could take an art class. You could take a sculpture class. You could take a music class in some ways. And kind of figure out, oh, this is really cool. Let me try something else. Or photography class. And kind of see where that goes. And yeah, so that's where there is some room for exploration. So that one student who was taking music and really into it. I saw a new student who will be starting in the fall yesterday. And she was really into photography, crime scene photography, to be very specific. And so it was a matter of having a conversation with her about why crime scene photography? Or she's like, oh, either that or like a CSI person. That's and very specific. Very <laughs> <laughs> that came from somewhere. What did you find out? It turned out her dad was a police officer. Oh. And so I think that's where that came from. And so mm-hmm. we talked about like, or, oh, or a forensic anthropologist was the other thing. And so then it was a conversation about all of the, well, what is science or art, right? So to become right. any sort of CSI person or um, right, I think that would fall more into the sciences. Correct. You would need say. chemistry, lots of chemistry, some biology. Well, um, the mindset too, it's not about making a pretty photo. It's about documenting correct. the most information as possible. And using your investigative side of your brain. Like I would say how, kind of like journalism. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. What happened? How did it happen? I'm trying to figure out clues, right? Yeah. Versus taking pictures where you're a specialist in your photography, but you're not solving the problem. Right. And so I was having that conversation with her. I think she needed to talk, think about it a little bit more. She kind of like, oh, yeah. But it was just so specific. Photography, crime scene photography, or hmm. you know, CNI. When I almost feel like it's at that point in life, it's almost like you're making this decision that's going to impact your life. And there's this feeling of impending, I have to choose. Like, I remember when my sister went through that and she wanted to be an artist, she wanted to be an entrepreneur, and she felt like she should go to college. And mm-hmm. so we're talking to her about looking into trade school and things like that. And ultimately, it was so much pressure for her to make this decision. But I, I don't think she ever really felt like she didn't like school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rebecca, I hope you're okay with me sharing this. I can cut it from the podcast. I'll ask you. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but like there was all these feelings of should, and what am I going to do? And oh my gosh, my life is starting and you know, and I I want this kind of house. I want this kind of city to live in. I want to change my life and to do that. Let's do the math. I need a job. And that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. And what's interesting when I talk to my artist students, so to speak, and they, they come to terms with, oh, they really want to do an art. I always say to them, almost always. I always say it's something like I encourage you to continue to get your master's, your MFA in your subject of art, because then you can always fall back on teaching. Now, obviously, I would never say that to someone who has absolutely no inclination of wanting to teach in any way, shape or form. 
But if I can kind of get a sense that something like that would be okay, and they want to be a sculptor, a sculpturist, I guess it's called, right? I suggest that so that they have a way to make more money if they don't get that stipend or that fellowship at that museum or whatever it is Mm -hmm. for them to support themselves in their art. So it's sort of like a system that it creates, I mean, like a lot of artists had patrons and that's the only way they could do their art because art oftentimes doesn't have value until later Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, buying a piece of art at Sotheby's auction, Mm -hmm. right? When you're making it, you have no idea what the value is going to be that someone else is going to put on it. I Mm -hmm. think that's one of the hardest things being an artist is that you're kind of expecting other people to value your work. And it's a long process to develop your craft and be good at that and also get to the point where you're truly expressing yourself artistically without all the other layers that go with discovering yourself and you know i think that is an option that is a path that can be valid i know for me when i had decided that i wanted to do music and i had been counseled that way it was funny because with music in particular that felt like a cop-out that felt like a fallback plan for me and people like oh you should just get your master's and just teach and it was like, no, I do not want that. That is not the career I want. Of course, my family's in film, so I'm used to the circus life. You know, mm-hmm. I'm used to entrepreneurial, <laughs> you know, I, like I want to be a hit music producer, right? You mm-hmm. know, so to me, I watched my professors in my music program look like they were frustrated artists. And that was, mm. that was really sad. And some of them who really loved what they do. And so I think it depends on the person, but a little admission on my part, I dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really good in school, finished high school with honors, but I missed the application deadline to UCLA. Oh, no. I had done the SAT2 (laughs) and everything. And so then I was like, because I didn't want to go to college originally. I was not going to go. My family, both my parents have thrived without college. They both dropped out of community college. And it wasn't in my family culture. So then all of a sudden I was like, well, you know, I mean, Pepperdine's nice. So... What happened was, is I ended up going to Musicians Institute right after college, and that was a trade school. And it was all about music. It was great. It was like recording engineering. Every single class had something to do with my career. And so when I graduated from that and I got into Pepperdine a year later, I wasn't in the mode for school anymore. And what was crazy was everybody told me, don't declare a major when you get there because you need time to discover what path you want to be on. Just sign up for the general ed classes. I showed up to college. I had no idea how to sign up for classes. You show up at this big fair and there's all these tables and I didn't even know what classes I was supposed to take. I really could have used a good college counselor. (laughs) You need to go see your counselor for that. (laughs) Um, Our school didn't have that. No, Um, It was too small. So anyway, what happened was is that when I went to the tour of the music department, they said, if you're going to be a music major, if you think you're going to be a music major, declare music immediately because there's so many courses that have to be taken that you won't finish in four years if you don't start now. Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing the music major and I hated it. Oh no. This was after Musicians Institute. So everything was like applied, right? Everything's practical. And here I get to this music class and I don't think I was properly assessed. And you know, the teachers are just blazing through certain material that I was lost on. And I, I felt like it was 
it would have been a really good program for me if I was prepared for it, but it was very Baroque 17th century kind of kind of vibe. And I was interested in pop music. So at the time, it just didn't resonate with me. And it's funny because I ended up hanging out with all the theater kids and producing student films. <laughs> Which actually makes sense if you think about your family history. Yeah. And so I did that and instead of my homework and I started getting really bad grades. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so, you know, somebody said you ought to try a communications major. And I think that would have been a really good fit working at the TV station there. But by that time, I was already getting hired for stunt jobs, doing movie stuff. And to me, it was like, okay, this is really expensive. And my family's already in the film business. Why would I go get a TV major and learn all the stuff I'm already have access to doing. I could just go work. And honestly, most people in the film business don't have a college degree. Mm-hmm. It's one of those careers where you can kind of fall into it and it doesn't matter. They don't care. They never ask you where you went to school. And so it's a strange thing about that career. So I think that gave me kind of a inaccurate perspective of college and what mm-hmm. college is for. I, I kind of grew up in this interesting little microcosm. But I know from talking to lots of people that usually it's the opposite. Usually it's like, this idea that you have to go to school if you're going to do anything. You better go learn. And then you find out, even with my trade school program, you get out in the real world and they're like, oh, okay, now you need to get some experience. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I just studied all this. <laughs> they're like, no, you're green. You're brand new. You have to start at the bottom, making coffee, doing this kind of stuff. And that was kind of shocking to me coming out of a professional trade program. And they were just like, okay, you're going to be sweeping floors and making coffee. <laughs> right. So to your point, not everyone... Like you said, you weren't really, that wasn't really your path to go to college. And you don't need to, right? But straight out of high school, you may not have the tools or the skills to do sound engineering. So to go to a trade school or go to a community college and then get those skills, because you know that's what you like, that is perfect. Yeah. And then move on, right? So if you are, if you know that already, then there's no more need for exploring, right? So the, the information that you were given about don't declare a major wasn't necessarily true for you because it sounds like you already knew what it is that you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think college for me was an afterthought. I think that was part of the thing was, I don't know if I had a really good perspective on the why. Mm -hmm. And I think about my wife, who's a teacher. And when she was a science teacher, she used to run a class that helped first generation college students learn the skills that you need to be successful in academics. I know that my school, they tried to recruit me for something like that. And I was like, no, I don't need that. (laughs) (laughs) But it's funny, they invited me to the Pepperdine tour. And I think that's why I ended up at Pepperdine for a little while. So yeah, no, that's very interesting. But I sometimes wonder what would have happened if I had finished my four-year degree I think at the time I was concerned that I would do what a lot of your students almost do, which was, okay, I have a degree now and I need a job. So I'll go work at Warner Chapel or I'll go work at Warner Music Group. And I would basically be making websites for 40,000 a year, but not actually recording. So in a way, I wouldn't trade my path for the world, but I feel like I certainly got a later start Mm -hmm. on some things and had to figure out a lot in the School of Hard Knocks Mm -hmm. because of that. And luckily, I do have supportive family who has always said, follow your dreams and do what you love because that worked for them. But there was a while where that did not feel like it was working at all. (laughs) Right. So it was sure passion that kept me going. 
Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a hard choice for students. Should they continue? Should they not? And then in your case, it sounds like you had some connections to go and do some things in Hollywood, right? Where most students don't have those connections and they wouldn't even know where to start. So for me, sometimes I think as a career counselor, you have to be careful of what you share with students, right? Because they either identify with you or they don't. And it's not about you. It's about them figuring out what they want to do. So sometimes I will share some little tidbit about something because I know that that student would be like, oh, that makes sense. You know, like, oh, okay, this, like, yeah, oh, she gets me, right? Mm-hmm. But most often, none of them know. I mean, they don't know that I went bullfighting. <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought that you spent your whole life behind a desk. Yeah, right? Like yeah. a lot of them do. And they're like, oh, she can't identify with me. We're different. We're, you know, she's old. I'm young. She's this. She, I'm that. Whatever it is, right? And sometimes I have students. So on a day like today, you know, I have an accent. Some days it goes away a little bit and students don't even know that I'm not from the U.S. So they can tell I have an accent, but they can't place it or whatever. And um, and sometimes I'll tell them, oh, yeah, you know, English as a second language, that can be hard. And I'll give them some like light. They're like, wait, how do you know? Well, you, that was I studied. You know, it's my second language. Huh. Oh, you know, and it kind of gives them that boost of confidence, like, Oh, is she? Wait, she said it. Wait, what? But she's my counselor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I went and I got my master's and like, you can do it, you know? Uh-huh. And I think with, so depending on the student, I will share some little tidbit. I had one student I knew that I had lost. We were doing a undecided workshop and I could just tell, like he, we had lost him, me and the other counselor. And yeah, he was gone. He wasn't going to come back to us and talk about what he needed and whatever. And so... At the end, the other counselor, did you want to share anything, Therese? And I had already kind of thought, like my travels, like we kind of talked about a little bit, that he would really benefit from that. And so I shared just, you know, a minute about how I traveled and how that helped me find myself versus going to a class. And that sometimes that's the best way. And he livened up just like that. (laughs) And it was kind of, and at the end, he's like, oh, I will see you later like he was kind of like okay now i have a council i can go to who understands you know yeah i think that connection is so important right and any kind of mentoring relationship is like you know that the other person respects you and sees you and sees that part of you that maybe other people didn't acknowledge right or can't understand right i feel like that's a common thread with creative people is that feeling of being misunderstood by society at large who says don't you want a bentley yeah. <laughs> Don't you want like a nice house? And isn't that the most important thing? That mm-hmm. you... And it's obviously not uncommon. So there's the Holland Code. There's the map assessment, which I did. Mm-hmm. Apparently radio personality came up as number two. Okay. And then I started podcasting and I'm like, I love this so much. I know that you and I have both studied and geeked out about MBTI and Jungian that type we theory, have. Mm-hmm. which is something I got deep into, like cognitive functions Yeah, I think you went way deeper when it comes to the Jungian side. I mean, you and I are both ENFP, Mm -hmm. extroverted, intuiting, feeling, perceiver. Extroversion. Sorry to correct (laughs) you there. Extroversion. Yeah. Ah, okay. There are books written about being an ENFP because ENFPs often have trouble choosing out of all the many things. And in type theory, you have your function stack. ENFP would be extroverting intuition first. Intuition means making connections, associative thinking. Well, it's how you take in information, right? Right. So I like to draw kind of like a triangle or a pyramid. 
So for our type eight, so the intuition, which is N, we like to see the big picture first and then put in the details where most of the world is actually sensing and they like the details first and then the big picture. And so if this is how Mm. you like to take in information and you're sitting in a college classroom, you will have students who are so irritated with the professor because why can't they just get to the point? Because what are all these little information, that would be me. (laughs) (laughs) What are all these little, like all this little information, like it means nothing. What do you mean? Like I just get irritated, right? Where 75% of the students are like, oh yeah, this makes total sense. This makes total sense. This makes total sense. And so- Let me um, write my notes. Let me take all the details. Right. And we're, and we're like those students then, if you say, okay, here's the philosophy, here's the big picture, right? Here's the hypothesis. That was me. And then now we fill it in, right? Yeah. If I'm I don't gonna, know the why, I don't learn it. Right. I feel like if I had had the approach to math that said, now here's the wonders of math. You can explain the universe. Okay, now here's how you do it. I've been like in. Yeah. But instead <laughs> they're like, too. you know, so here's how you do this and you carry the one and you blah, 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 blah. I'm just sitting there like bored to tears and I had no idea math was the secret of the universe. Right. If you just told me that at the beginning, oh my right. God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. So yeah, so extroverted intuition in the case of that being my dog dominant function as an ENFP, the extroverted part has to do with it's like more out there. And what it said was that if you're an extroverted intuitive, you're busy seeking out every single way to look at things. Right. You're figuring, you're trying to figure out the connections. Yes. You're trying to look at as many of them as you can before you even narrow it down. Or if you're an introverted intuitor, mm-hmm. which is interesting because they each have their polarity when you get into the advanced stuff. This, they don't teach you this in Myers-Briggs. But the interesting thing is, is that when you are an introverted intuitor, and that's your dominant sense like an INFJ has, mm-hmm. that means that instead of trying to go research every possibility, you're trying to narrow it down. You're still making these associations, but you're trying to say, okay, what can we eliminate? Mm-hmm. What can we reduce to? And so it's just that first function makes a huge difference. And you can see that all over your story with the lions and the sharks and the canoes, even <laughs> just the way you tell the fake story and the real story and the, the bulls and the and the this and the UN and the blah, blah. And then I was in career counseling and now I'm doing photography and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, extroverted associator. <laughs> right. So whether you prefer extroversion or introversion, right? Everything is on a spectrum. So just so that your listeners can follow us here. Right. So preferring extroversion is that you gain your energy from being with people. So for instance, and I, and I think we've probably talked about this. So I'm giving this as an example for your listeners. So for instance, you might go to a party and be the life of the party and then the party's done and you're like, what's the next party? I'm ready. Right. <laughs> Whereas someone who prefers introversion, they would kind of be done that they had a good time, they want to go home and go to sleep. They need to kind of recharge on their own. Another way to look at it is like, you know, if you prefer extroversion, you might prefer to go hang out with your buddies at the local bar or coffee shop in some in, <laughs> in some instances, right? Where if you prefer introversion, you might want to go for a walk in nature or you might want to maybe with one person, maybe by yourself. And that's kind of how you gain energy and how you you recharge. Well, I think the hardest thing about studying any of these systems is the terms, because a lot of people say, am I an extrovert? Am I an introvert? And people are like, maybe I'm an ambivert. That was my thing. It's like, Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was an ENFP because I do need time alone to recharge. And apparently ENFPs are the most introverted extroverts. Yes, Even though everybody sees us as the rainbow unicorn pixies (laughs) that are like out there life of the party. But the thing is like... There's that, but then you have to also recharge. So it's not like this binary. It's on a spectrum. And that's important to know. And also that you can actually 
teach yourself or if you will, or you can kind of work on the other side to kind of learn what that looks like. Now with introversion, extroversion, because it's how you gain energy, I, that would probably be the one you can do that the least or it will affect you the least. But there are some of the other ones where in certain jobs, they prefer one side versus another. And so like judging versus perceiving the world works for judging, not so much for perceiving. So you learn the judging side. Now, judging obviously doesn't mean that you judge people. Yeah, I think it's very important <laughs> for the audience is the difference between a J and a P in mm-hmm. this framework. We'll call it just a model or a theory. It's not mm-hmm. infallible. But there's the J's, which are typically more organized. I need to close the loop and make a decision. And there's the P, which is like, I need to leave things open. I need to have my options open. The stereotype is they tend to be late. They tend to, you know... So we look at more, this is more lifestyle, right? So yeah. it's kind of like the J's, so people who prefer judging, they may want to know weekend plans in advance, right? So a perfect example, sorry, husband, but I'm going to bring you into this. <laughs> so my husband is judging and I am perceiving. And so for the longest time, you know, he would get so mad if I like, not mad, just irritated. If I sat in morning, was like, let's go to the beach, right? And in my mind, I'm like, yay, we're going to the beach. I'm excited. And his mind is like, oh my God, I can't plan anything. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where for him, I, so he, we came up with this plan of I have to tell him in advance, right? I can't just just two days is what he's saying, you know. <laughs> but he would prefer to know the week before or Tuesday before or the year before, maybe the year before <laughs> in some cases. And so, like for him, it's like if I told him on a Tuesday, let's go to the beach, he would have time to figure out how we're gonna get there, where we're gonna park, what are we gonna bring. Am I bringing sunscreen? Are we bringing money for lunch? Are we going to bring our lunch? Are we going to go out to a restaurant? Like, what are we doing? How are we doing it? And he can map it all out in his head. And then come Saturday morning, he's ready. Everything is packed and he's good to go. Right. And by that time, you're like, I want to go to the museum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forget the beach. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but for me, and so for someone who's very perceiving the way I am, if you ask me on a Tuesday what I want to do Saturday, I'm just going to get irritated. What are you talking about? Like, I, you, what? You want to plan now? I know that. Right? Yeah, like, hello. Like, we only live once. You know, like, that would be my response. Like, no, I'm not going to talk about that today. Why Don't we... box me in, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about this today? You know, so that's the difference. That being said, when you're in the corporate world, you need to learn judging. You need to have your timelines on point. You need to be ready on time. So if you don't know that in advance and you're very, very pee like I was, right? then you can get yourself in trouble. So I learned specifically in a workplace to be very, very J and to make sure that I had my timelines and deadlines. You know, I even learned it to the point where everything would be ready a week in advance and so that I wouldn't get myself into trouble. And Right. Because we all have these, you right. know, ability to stretch ourselves. We can be anybody, but we do have our weaknesses. So if that was your job, our preferences, our preferences. And if that was your job and you relied too much on something that wasn't your preference, perhaps maybe that's why you found yourself very happy when you were no longer having that job. Well, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons. <laughs> so isn't it Temet Naste? Know thyself. Mm-hmm. Know yeah. thyself. That is very true. And that being said, if I loved everything else about my job, I loved the creativity, I love you know, whatever that came with marketing, right? Like for me, it wasn't fulfilling. It could be fun at times. It just wasn't fulfilling. I wasn't doing right. anything for the greater good. That's really why I stopped being in marketing. I was helping some person become wealthy. Become more richer. Yeah. And classic ENFP thing as well, the social side of like wanting right. to make the world better. If Correct. that's if you're an ENFP, that matters that mm-hmm. you're in alignment with your mission. That's the introverted feeling. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So 
Yeah, so that's a little bit about the MBTI. Well, they kind of flip-flop, and this is the advanced stuff, and I think you were right to bring it back to the basic stuff for the audience, you know, because probably everyone's just already confused about the terms because they're very (laughs) confusing. I mean, intuition, right? It totally doesn't mean that. Intuition is a form of cognition in that system. But the thing that's interesting about the function stack is that if I'm extroverted on the first function, I'm introverted on the second function. And so that's how I store information. So what I learned was that I take in information through extroverted intuition, which means when I'm buying a car, I'm researching every single kind of car Mm -hmm. that's ever been made, you know, whatever. But then when I'm making a decision, I'm making it based on my values. And because it's introverted, that values has to do with my personal values and what I feel and believe for myself, which is why you couldn't stay in a job that didn't fit you. Mm -hmm. If you were, you know, selling cigarettes and you didn't believe in cigarettes, that's not going to work for you as an ENFP. That's really, really out of your core where maybe for somebody else that there's some other thing that works for them. They're like, okay, well, I'm taking care of my family and like the cigarettes are going to exist anyway. And I'm taking care of people I care about with this job. That might be more of an extroverted feeling kind of thing where I'm more concerned about the people around me and I'm making my decisions based on the group. Uh, So it's interesting kind of how these different nuances come in and uh, probably going way too deep on tangent with this. But to me, I'm fascinated by that. And it's always fun to be able to geek out about, (laughs) you know, because I think it's there's so many different models and hypotheses. It's like Newton is valid on Earth for physics. But then Einstein came and made relativity. And those two systems don't go together Mm -hmm. as much all the time, but they're both useful. For different things. And so it's the same thing with the Holland Code. The Holland Code is extremely useful, it sounds like, for careers or what are you going to do. But you never use it alone. So that's kind of a little tidbit. You actually Uh often use it with the MBTI or something else. Oh, really? Yes, because your values play a... And then you also do a values assessment at the same time because your values are also very important in how that works. But but on the MBTI... When as an artist, I think that's when I've gotten myself in the most trouble is when I violate my own values. Mm -hmm. And that was the most important thing I had to learn about myself through MBTI was, oh, if I'm violating my own values, it doesn't matter how worthwhile something looks on the outside. I'm not going to like it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but that's just me. Maybe someone else is different, but I think that's true for most artists. One more time. So their values are important. And if they go against their values, you're yeah. going to feel like you'd rather be, you know, you'd rather fall asleep. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you'd rather not be there. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's why I think it can be hard to be an artist because it's not as valued as a profession. Yeah. So it's kind of like you, you really choosing your true self but maybe at the expense of comfort maybe not depending on what you end up doing right yeah and sometimes you know if you're an artistic personality to feel alive mm-hmm. yeah feeling is, alive is mm-hmm. it trumps security it trumps all those things that people are telling you this is the ultimate thing like if you got this nice house right right you know some people that's important to but yeah yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we covered <laughs> we covered and then some. Wow. We covered the yeah. MBTI, um except decision, death, thinking, feeling. We didn't. That was what you were kind of getting at with your decision making. Okay. So uh, in my function stack, it's extroverted intuition, then the introverted feeling, and then the third one, which they call the auxiliary function, and that's the one you kind of use, but it's like ad hoc. It's like after the fact. So for me, that's extroverted thinking. Which obviously I have highly developed because I'm in a family where my dad is very thinking dominant. Mm -hmm. So that's a value in my family. So even though I'm a feeler and my uh, MBTI type, it's ENFPF instead of T, 
we all have the other one as well. And so in mine, they're kind of interchangeable a little bit. So I do have the thinking side. But for someone else, maybe that T might be closer to the beginning of their function stack, which means that decisions are getting made based on rationale. Like that's my brother. My brother is INTJ. My brother is INTJ. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And an INTJ, it doesn't matter how much something pains him. If the decision is illogical, he's going to make the logical choice. Mm -hmm. so, so for the people who don't know, so thinking is the logical side, right? You kind of, you focus on the facts. So one of the examples would be something like you're looking at a resume and you look, oh, they have credentials. They went to the best schools. They have five years experience in exactly this. This is the perfect person. The feeling person would look at that resume and say, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, I think I like this person. Like, look at, you know, they have interests. Like, look at that. They do photography just like me or whatever it is, right? I just get a really good feeling from this person. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. the way they write it, it just, it feels yeah. good. Like, yeah, yeah, they have the bastards and this and that. Like, credentials aren't necessarily as important. It's like, yeah. this this feels good. Well, yeah, you know, like, I could really the... help this person. You know, this person really needs the job. Mm -hmm. That would yeah. also be an extroverted feeling. Be, you know, if you're yeah. if you're the helper type. Again, if you're like the, the two on the Enneagram, right? right? You're gonna make a decision based on, oh, but that person really needs this right now versus, well, this person's not as cut out for the job. This person's way more qualified right, so we're right. gonna blow and i think you see that play out in conflict and tension within families and within national discourse and stuff obviously people have different priorities in making decisions and that we don't always mesh right <laughs> or jive and that's how often at jobs or there'll be conflict right and that's exactly because of that because people you know on the one side they're like well they don't feel bad for anyone they're just looking at the facts and the other side is kind of like well, they are so feely, feely, gushy. Like, come on, just look at what's going on. You know, they kind of, this is a fact. We need to fire someone or else this company goes under. Right. We're going to fire the, you know, last person hired, first person out. Where the other one's like, no, but, you know, that person's wife is going through chemo and da da da, da, da. We can't fire that person. You know, like, so there's that conflict. And if you're you an know? ENFP, you're just super idealistic and you're like, we're going to do all of them. We're going <laughs> to save the company and we're going to save her job and we're going to blow No one's getting fired. Yeah, no one's getting, everybody's getting paid. <laughs> It'll yeah. be great. Whoa, okay, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. We like to, um, uh, my husband is always like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I'm always like, yes, I can. Of course I can. Of course. Yeah. Like, what's the point of buying the cake if you can't have a piece? Just <laughs> <laughs> always make more cake. You can always, yeah, make, oh, always make more cake. You can borrow cake. some cake. You well, can... Wouldn't you technically have to give it back? I don't know how well, that would go. <laughs> You can borrow money to buy a second cake. There you go. You can, yeah. Yeah. Get yourself, get yourself in trouble that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So where did you meet your husband? Here in California. Okay. And as luck would have it, he was a Marine. Uh -huh. And as luck would have it, he got moved to a duty station in Hawaii just as I was moving to Hawaii. <laughs> and that's how we ended up together. It was fate, if you will. <laughs> um, yeah. Coincidence or fate or whatever. I mean, it, ha it was meant to be. We're still together. Do you ever think like... I wish I had a camera to photograph that little girl in Syria wearing the pink dress, stomping dung. My stepdad took a picture of her. So I actually do have that picture Ooh. of her. <laughs> Talking yes. about National Geographic made me yeah. think of that. Well, yes. Okay. Maybe think of the woman with the green eyes. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right, yeah. So in my photo group, we were just talking about someone asked the question, what is your, like, what is the top thing you'd want to do with your photography? And I, what would I say? Go to Antarctica. 
Mm, I would love to go, but not necessarily for photography, although that would be awesome, actually. (laughs) Let's just be real, right? But it would be photojournalism, like in human rights, would be like my number one choice. I think I just career canceled you into your next job. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's a wrap. We're done. Good to you achieved here today. Uh, Good job, Stephen. Yeah, so that's just a you know fun aside. So that's what I do just for fun, kind of. At my kids' school, I I'm taking some pictures and just kind of it helps me relax and focus on something creative. So you're a mother and you have two young kids. Your youngest is three. Correct. And how does that impact you? You're obviously a free spirit. I mean, you said you like to travel with your daughter and things like that, but it has been an impact for you in this period of your life. Yeah, for sure. I think anytime a new human being comes into your life permanently and 24 hours a day, (laughs) it changes your life, right? Like it has to. Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, I had kids intentionally. So Mm -hmm. I think that also makes a difference. So we didn't think we could have kids. We were in the process of adopting and then I got pregnant. And I know oh that's gosh. a lot of people say that's how it happens, you know? <laughs> Take the pressure off. Yeah, right? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So when my first came into our lives, I mean, it was with intention. You know, we wanted this kid. And yeah, so we were ready to kind of have her and show her the world, so to speak, you know? Yeah. So now it's kind of like, so I started this new career, what, three? How old is she? She's five. So four years ago? I think four, five, four, three, four years ago is when I changed careers. And yeah, so she's been on this journey with me. And so, and part of that is, well, there's obviously all the kids stuff and being all nerdy about what school they're going to go to. What's the best way to parent? Da, 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 da. The things you think of when you're an old mom and not a new, I think when you're younger, you just do, I yeah. think, as a parent. And I think when you're older, you, you know, you're like, what's the right way? And what, you know, you have all these other <laughs> thoughts about it. But then part of that for me is it's very important that my kids see the world and not just our little cosmos, our little town and how people are here, right? Mm-hmm. So that will be a big part of our journey now that they're almost potty trained and changing careers, you know, it's, you start over financially as well, unfortunately. You know, oh, that's yeah. kind of yeah. the other and you know, having two kids in daycare and um, it is exactly what it is and what it should be because they need what they need and that in my mind comes first and then this season passes and then you go on to the next season and then things change and you know that's just kind of how life is so that's kind of how I see that where do you see yourself in 20 years (laughs) that is a funny question I have no idea (laughs) (laughs) I mean I, I grapple with that daily Am I social psychologist at a, in academia? Am I a therapist working with children in war-torn areas of the world? What am I? What do I do? Am, am I tenure track at some community college and, you know, I'm just waiting for my pension? I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> Whatever it is, it'll probably involve sharks. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. As long as they're not too close, then I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Reliance or, yeah. yeah something. Well... Therese, this has been awesome and very, very amazing to talk to you. What would be the single piece of advice that you would give to our listeners? Ah, that's a very good question. I would say talk to someone who's not your family when you're trying to figure out where your career is because they all want the best for you. 
but they may not know what you want. That may work just as well because we all know what we know. And so by going to someone outside of your realm or what kind of you know, your parents know, your your friends and family knows, can give you a different perspective on who you are and maybe what's in store for you or what you think you can handle that people who know you may not see. Excellent advice. Therese Anthony, career counselor and all-around Renaissance woman. Thanks for joining us today on the Language of Creativity podcast. I wish you all the success in the not knowing of whatever comes next for you. (laughs) (laughs) In the next 20 years. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. More episodes coming soon. Please remember to subscribe, review, and join us on Facebook.